cloud blues. To catch a madman, it takes a madman? Two murders, both horrendous in their method and brutality, have swept across the nation in a state of panic. We remember Michael Frost, who targeted his victims and strung them up like icicle lights towards the anniversary of his soulmate's demise. And we certainly remember Charles Gantz, whose obsession with soulmates caused him to kidnap couples in order to collect their mismatched eyes. There are none so deadly as the Red Dragon, though, who has finally stepped out of the darkness in order to drag Dr. Will Graham to the light. We last remember Dr. Will Graham as a consultant to the FBI who aided in psychological profiles of killers. After his admittance to a psych ward following his killing of Garrett Jacob Hobbs, you will remember him better as the Minnesota Shrike. We believed his career in profiling criminals was at an end. It seems, with the death of two and more to come, that he has been brought out of retirement in order to help the FBI one more time. I found him outside of the Baltimore State Hospital for the Criminally Insane, after a meeting he'd held with Baltimore's own resident cannibal, Hannibal Lecter. He was neither calm nor collected, and I was once again reminded of how he'd been just a few years before, a consultant for the FBI, but certainly no agent. The screening process alone is arduous to be an agent, and it is quick to find any forms of mental instability. Is the FBI so desperate that they not only turn to Dr. Graham, but to Hannibal the Cannibal too? Are they at such a loss that in order to catch the madman, they employ not one, but two? These are desperate times for America, and we can only witness with trepidation the bumbling ways the Federal Bureau of Investigation is trying to keep us safe. To be sure, the Red Dragon is watching. And he's amused as we are terrified. Will, Jack cautioned. I'm fine, Will said pleasantly. The coffee sloshing over the rim of his cup said otherwise, but Jack wasn't going to point that out. His hand shook, and he stared out the window, elbows digging into the newspaper with a vengeance. He imagined it to be Freddie Lowne's face. It could have been worse. She talked about my... I know what she talked about. Jack cut in smoothly. Forget about her. She doesn't matter. I do. I say it's not relevant. She's right, though. You're desperate, and we haven't got much. We know who it is. We know his motivations. We know what he's capable of, and we know that at some point he's going to try for Lecter. That's far more than we had a month ago. How he's choosing them, Jack. Will destroyed a buttered roll beneath anxious fingers. That's how you find him. Now that he's shadow suspended in dust. You've got his wife safe. You've got his face, and you've got an art gallery that wants his head for eating prized art. But you don't know how he's choosing who to kill, so you don't know where to find him. Do you have an idea? Jack asked. 
Will finished his coffee and set the cup down a little too hard. It rattled in the saucer and drew the ire of the waitress walking by. An hour of sitting, and they'd ordered coffee, biscuits and gravy without gravy, and a roll. Her worst nightmare realized. I think I'd be good bait, he said. He stared out of the window, watching a colorful argument wedged between two cars. They were soulmates, their faces close enough to kiss, their fists close enough to hurt. He thought about Hannibal stroking his back to ease the knots out of it, and he shuddered. Molly wouldn't forgive me if I used you as bait, Jack said, but he didn't sound opposed in the least. A thread of intrigue filtered in his voice. She already hates you, Will said cheerfully. She asked if the safe house would have any Crawfords in it, but when I said no, she was grateful I took that into consideration. Silence. Jack was many things, but the years taught Will that he wasn't kind. He'd done his fair share of putting Will in the sort of mental places that Alana ground her teeth at night over, and he did so with conscious precision and no guilt. If it meant they caught a killer, what did he care what happened to Will? Will was just one, and the body count of a serial killer was far too many to risk. I'll see what can be done, Jack said slowly. Will left him in the shitty diner with Lowne's article, a disintegrated roll, and the responsibility of the tip to the murderous, matching-eyed waitress. Chilton intercepted him on the way to Lecter, and for that he was annoyed. He seemed to radiate something, though, something that gave Will enough pause to be uncertain, on edge. He followed him to his office and sat down, legs spread and hands resting on his thighs. He gnawed on his bottom lip. You know, Dr. Graham, I have to say that I'm an absolute horror at keeping secrets, Chilton began, and Will bit down on his lip a little harder to keep something snarky at bay. I've been rather good about this one, but recent events have led me to believe that I would be doing you a disservice to keep quiet any longer. What? Will prompt flatly. Chilton turned his computer monitor around so that Will could see it. A series of videos were shown, from isolation rooms to hallways to Abel Gideon's room. Will studied them dispassionately, although his heart stumbled a little. He didn't like where this is going. Now, according to the law, I can only keep video of hallways, access points, and rooms where the patient is a danger to themselves and must be monitored. Unfortunately, no matter how hard I wheedled, Lecter's room was none of those things. All right. Then your clever little stint with the partitions put you at an advantage, allowing a wall of privacy. Will said nothing to that, since such a clever little stint had been his goal in its entirety. What I do have, though, is audio. Chilton's brown eyes flickered in triumph, noting the tensing of Will's shoulders. He couldn't help it. An involuntary action. That's not legal either, Will managed. His fingers curled to fists on his lap. We have arguably one of the smartest serial killers within these walls, Dr. Graham, and I wasn't going to leave his actions here to chance, Chilton retorted. He wasn't forthcoming in conversations. So you bugged his room to hear just what he said when you weren't around, Will snapped. His leg jiggled slightly as he bounced its weight on the ball of his foot. There was nothing of true note until you came along in reality, Chilton said, unheeding of Will's discomfort. You walked through those doors, though, Dr. Graham, and something changed fundamentally. He clicked a button on the screen, and a crackly, soft but clear voice came through. What the fuck did you do to me? I don't understand. Of what am I being accused? Stop, Will prompted. Chilton didn't stop, merely fast-forwarded. Will despised hearing just how panicked and terrified he sounded. If I kiss you now, will you ask me for more? 
Run along now, Dr. Graham, before I make you stay. Stop, Will said again, harsher. This time Chilton did. He clasped his hands on his desk, pleased to see Will's undivided attention. One-sided connection indeed, Dr. Graham, he said triumphantly. At first I was happy to let this continue, learn as I needed on a psychological level, as well as a soulmate level. Your horror in and of itself was enough to satisfy me. After your last meeting with him, though, Barney informed me that through the cracks in the partition, it wasn't a mere conversation you were having with him. The silence of the audio was enough to convince me. It's not illegal to have a soulmate, Will said, but it sounded tinny even to him. The back of his neck prickled, uncomfortable, and he was aware that about 457 yards away, Hannibal knew something was amiss. Not in the least, but I do have to protect you from yourself. Chilton smiled, and it didn't reach his eyes. I said he gets into your head, Dr. Graham, and I was correct. Hannibal got into his head. Matthew Brown took one eye. Hannibal took another. Will thought of his dreams, where he removed his eyes, fingers blood-stained and lips trembling as he tried to put himself back together. Whenever Hannibal tried to do it for him, he cringed away from it. He was in his head. He was in his eyes. He was in his fucking dreams. What are you going to do, then? Will asked, and this time his tone was far better controlled. Darker. Harsher. He has pertinent information regarding the serial killer that the FBI is currently hunting for, and pulling me from interviewing him would be seen as an obstruction of justice. He won't speak to anyone else but me on the matter, let alone you, who had to bug his room in order to glean any words from him in their entirety. It wasn't quite smart to goad the one holding the key to his soulmate, but Will didn't back down his eyes flicking up to Chilton's chin, then to his two brown eyes that darkened at the challenge. Will wasn't afraid of becoming a soulmate to Chilton. Chilton would die alone because no one in the world would chemically bond to him. The thought made Will smile, a savage twist at the edges. I have no designs on making this public, since his stacks of lonely heart litters would only grow at the thought that he would potentially connect to any of them, too. He sometimes makes me feel more like a secretary rather than an administrator. At that, Chilton sniffed. At the same time, Dr. Graham, we must look out for one another, mustn't we? Psychiatrists and all. Psychiatrists and all, Will echoed. I want you to keep him talking. I want you to get him to talk about himself. As fascinated as I am with the way he's delved into you, he's the one I'm attempting to write a book on. If I tried to write a book about you, I think Dr. Bloom would fly down here in a rage with verger lawyers at her back. I am under no legal obligation to do that, Will said. In fact, I can think of several laws put in place for the sole purpose of protecting soulmates against that. I'll come now, Dr. Graham. You know that the connection between the two of you isn't something you want. Chilton propped his chin up and considered Will, fingers curling like hooks over his cheeks. I could all but feel your repulsion radiating from you every time you walk through my doors. We can help one another. I'm not going to let you use me. If you're not inclined to help, I'm not entirely inclined to keep your secrets. There it was, the blackmail on the table. Will bit down on the fat of his cheek, hard. He could just imagine the fury on Jack's face, the horror and indignation at his secrecy and his mental state. Maybe if he'd come clean sooner, they'd have simply removed him from the case. But this far into everything, it'd be seen as something worse. Jack would take it just about as personally as anyone was capable of. An attack of the worst kind, seeing as how the only person in the world Will seemed capable of connecting to was a cannibalistic serial killer. 
I'll see what I can do, Will said at last. He gritted his teeth. Last time I tried to play him, though, I'll remind you that my girlfriend was almost murdered. I have every faith in you, Chilton said, pleased. He was given his partitions, whatever that meant. Will rocked from his heels to his toes, then back again as they were set up. Beside him, Abel leaned against the bars. I saw what you did, he said conversationally. Did you, Dr. Gideon? You got Matthew Brown sentenced here rather than prison. A smart move on your part, Dr. Graham. Now that his contacts are out, he's just one of us in the end. So am I, Will thought savagely. I thought it was best, given his half-connection. The psychotic break alone wasn't something they'd help him with in a prison. That and his half-connection to you is all the orderlies can talk about, Gideon said gleefully. Dr. Graham, so entrenched in soulmates that people are connecting to him left and right. First Matthew, then Hannibal Lecter. Just what would it take for you to connect back, I wonder? The knowing look on his face told Will that the question was rhetorical. He knew everything. You tried to warn me, he said at last, taking a step closer to the bars. Gideon tilted his head, regarding Will with a small, twitching smile. He looked around, like he was searching for someone else that may have been listening in, then shrugged innocently, leaning into the corner between the bars and the wall. I may have been inclined, he said slyly. Will stared at him, the faint stubble, the face soft rather than angled like Lecter's. He didn't work out with the ferocity that Will felt Hannibal did, muscles aching in the aftermath. He was content with his bed and what little he was allowed inside of his cell. He had nothing better to do, Will supposed, than to try and stir the shit, rile him up. And yet, thank you, Dr. Gideon, he said at last, sincere, for trying. As I said, I do like it when people are polite. No reason or motive in the world other than the fact that you choose to be kind when you could be cruel. Enough people are cruel when they could be kind, I think. Will nodded, rubbed his mouth to wipe away the smile that threatened. He wondered what Abel Gideon would think if he knew that Will had intentionally found a way to lock Matthew Brown back in the BSHCI. He'd been cruel when he could have been kind. Maybe, though, Abel Gideon, of all people, would see he'd only done it because people had a habit of just not leaving him the hell alone, like Alana and Will both wanted so damn much. "'Prepare yourself, though, Dr. Graham,' Abel said when Will didn't speak. "'You're not going to like what you see just on the other side of that partition. Not. One bit. Thank you for the warning, he said, and a nod from Barney at the partition. He turned and walked around it, leaving Abel in his corner smirking with his secrets. Abel was right. He didn't like it. Not one bit. He pushed down against the concrete, and it pushed back. There had been a time when he was younger and far less in control of himself. He steadfastly ignored the fact that he still didn't really feel in control of himself when he'd dig his fingernails so hard into his palms that he'd break skin. It was that or shout, fists hitting drywall as he tried to get the demons out from under his skin. There was a myriad of ways to try and control the sudden rush of fury, and he was sometimes an avid fan of counting backwards from ten, then twenty, then fifty. He did that now, staring. Hannibal studied his body language, gaze narrowed and curious. They took your things, Will said, after the silence felt too heavy. A punishment for ultimately leading you into a wild goose chase, obstructing justice and endangering lives, or so I'm told. Hannibal replied amiably. If he was troubled, he gave no indication. Will was absolutely troubled, though. 
The drawings on the wall were gone, as well as the books, newspapers, and table. Even the chair, bolted as it had been, had been taken away. Holes in the ground where it had been screwed into the floor. The pens, letters, and magazines were also missing. And it, for the first time, seemed like an honest, true cell. Apart from the initial shock, there was a dark part of Will that delighted in Hannibal having to live among the muck and the mire like the rest of the murderers and killers had to. What other serial killer could boast an extensive library, and constant correspondence with psychiatrists and grad students? There was something righteously glorious about three gray, hideous cement walls. No, the only thing that truly bothered Will was the glass wall that separated them from floor to ceiling. Nothing but holes along the top of the glass, allowing air to circulate and speech to be heard. It looked to be a foot thick, a dense and formidable material. How Chilton had gotten it up in a day, Will wasn't quite sure. It was likely he'd had it at the ready when he was done eavesdropping on Will and Hannibal. The invasion of their privacy, of his weakness, exposed in such a blasé manner. It made him think an awful lot about how doing bad things to bad people felt really, really good. I'd ask how you're feeling, but it's an extreme enough emotion that I don't have to ask. It's radiating in my pulse, Hannibal said. Dr. Chilton is listening. Yes, I imagine he is, he agreed. When you leave, you will likely filter in an evangelical broadcast to make me reflect on the things I've done. That coupled with the glass divider. He does enjoy his petty torments. That's invasive. Fucking. He cut himself off. Chilton was listening. His head cocked to the side, curious. Did you suppose I'd be granted privacy? I supposed I'd be granted privacy, Will said. He thought about sitting down, but he tossed the idea. His blood curdled, livid. It made me curious about what you'd do next. Is this the end for us? Will shook his head, and he walked to the barrier, the tips of his shoes brushing against the wall. In the reflection of the glass, he saw both himself and Hannibal and he wondered dazedly if that's what it was to be soulmates, to see so much of yourself in someone else that you bled together. He swallowed with difficulty. He didn't want to bleed out, to become a distorted part of himself. His madness was like an oil spill, and he desperately wanted to contain it. Ah, I see. You take no issue in avoiding being so close to me, as long as it is by your choice. But now that the choice was taken away, you're upset. Is this funny to you? Will asked. Yes, Hannibal said, shaking his head no. Will tasted the thinly-veiled fury that licked along his bones, and he wasn't sure anymore if it was his or if it was Lecter's. It was possessive, dark. What are you going to do now, dear Will? I'm curious. I don't know, Will said. A lie, and Hannibal felt it as much as he saw it in the dark look beyond the plastic lenses Will wore to hide just what he was. A moment. Charged with something smacking of sin, flickered between them. Hannibal licked his lips. They didn't need words, and Will wasn't sure how he felt about that. Will lifted his hand up, and he placed his palm to the glass, pressing his fingertips deep like he could break the barrier by Will alone. He stared into Hannibal's mismatched eyes. Hannibal stared back, and after a second that tasted like a thousand heartbeats, Hannibal lifted his palm and pressed back. I'll play your game. Hannibal mouthed to him, since you were so obliging to play mine. Will nodded, and he walked away, leaving Hannibal with his palm print and the sense of something on the horizon. His bones hummed, small sparks of electricity on his tongue. Jack Crawford was about as well-versed in the art of swearing as any other person. 
As he raged and paced in the confines of Will's hotel room, he used every word under the sun that he could grasp onto in such a moment as that, palms hot and eyes blindingly furious. Will watched from the safety of the chair he sometimes slept in, a whiskey sour in hand, chewed up straw dangling from his mouth. His eyes did not itch, nor did they convey a lie bought at the convenient price of twenty-four ninety-nine. Of all the fucking goddamn piece of shit! Over a month, Will? A fucking month? A deep inhalation. More than a month. Quite a few fucking months. Hannibal goddamn Lecter. Will mouthed along with him, swirling his drink. When I said, and I know I fucking said it, when I fucking said to come to me if you felt you were in too deep, did it occur to you that that was too deep? A rhetorical question. Will made the mistake of not quite catching that the first time, and he'd been verbally steamrolled, hence the drink. It took well over an hour for Jack to stop mid-step and staring at the wall like it had the answers. The fight hadn't left him, but the ability to convey even his basest emotions had. Like a balloon pricked with a fine-tipped needle, the air had eased out of him sooner or later. Three drinks later, in Will's case, "'It's not ideal for me either, Jack.' Will said, turning the straw over and over in his hands. It's not been a vacation. You lied to me, Jack managed, still staring at the wall. I told you I didn't want to do this, and you made me do it. I walked in there, and I got fucked over more than you did, I think. Oh, you think? Jack rounded on him, but seeing the empty glass in his hand seemed to shock some of the anger out of him. He balked at the image of a too-calm Dr. Dram. I'm thinking... I got a serial killer in my head, and I've got one at my back, scratching at it. This has compromised this entire investigation, Jack groused. It hasn't. I haven't broken any laws, and Lecter's already imprisoned for murdering people, so his obstruction of justice isn't really going to bother him too much. Will pointed out. Besides, it gives you what you want, doesn't it? I've got a real bad feeling that I should linger right around this area, and you need me to help you catch your red dragon right around this area. Oh no, the fuck you are! Jack snarled. You're on a plane to Molly. Christ's sake, Will! Does Molly know? Molly knows, Will said amiably. How'd she feel about that? I'm thinking, I warned you this would change me, Molly. You won't know me the same. And she said, I'll get to know you all over again. You're off the case, and I... The fuck I am, Jack! Will said. And Jack stopped at the sound of the glass falling out of Will's hand, hitting the floor with an anticlimactic thud and rolling onto its side. Will thought about leaving it, but he ultimately sighed, bent down and retrieved it, straw dangling from his lips. He thought about Molly and cringed. I didn't hear that, Jack warned him. You did, Will retorted. Molly almost died because of the red dragon, and you dragged me out of a pretty goddamn good life to come find him for you. I've got a maroon eye that belongs to a serial killer behind a glass wall, and I've got a pretty good idea to suss out your killer that you wanted so badly you wrecked my life to get him. There were many things that Jack Crawford was, but kind was not one of them. Will felt his eyes weighing and assessing, and he knew without having to know that he'd piqued his interest, enough to at least hear him out. In the end, no matter what he felt for Will, mercy wasn't one of those things. He'd sacrifice Will for anything, and Will was counting on that. What's the idea? He loves reading about Lecter, doesn't he? And now I've interested him. Will shifted in his chair, getting comfortable. He rubbed his bad eye. I'm thinking. The only thing worse than getting caught is your idol denouncing you. I'm thinking. Why don't we draw him out to me? Bait, Jack said, clipped. 
Freddie Lowndes is biting at the bit to get me to do an interview. I've got four voicemails. We get her to write about me, write about Lecter, and really make Red Dragon mad. Get Chilton in on it, too. Let out some stuff about his inability to acquire his soulmate, his impotency, leaning towards things he'd feel as inferior to him. Sexuality, appearance, you name it. Two doctors talking about it, one an expert in soulmates, the other an expert with criminal psychology. You want him to make a mistake? You gotta make him mad enough to do it, Jack. We've gotta make Red Dragon mad. Jack started pacing again. This time, Will leaned his head back and stared up at the ceiling rather than track it, letting his eyelids keep track of time. At one hundred blinks, his footsteps trailed to a stop, and Will pulled the straw from his mouth, tying aimless knots into it. We do this. I've got round-the-clock guards on you. You're wearing Kevlar. Bullet wounds are headshots on the victims, Jack. He goes for the head. You're wearing Kevlar, Jack snapped. I'll wear Kevlar, Will groused. We'll need to take pictures to make it believable. Will you take pictures? Will sighed like it was the most difficult thing he'd ever been asked to do. (sighs) I'll take pictures. You're a son of a bitch, Jack informed him. Will didn't have it in him to disagree. Somehow, the lack of fight made Jack anxious, and he shifted from one foot to another. You have killers in your head all the time, Will. What's it feel like to have this one, now that it's chemical rather than psychological? He asked when he found the words he'd been fumbling for. After yelling so long, the sudden curiosity was almost laughable. Like putting my hand in black paint and pressing it over my eyes, he said. And he finally looked at Jack, dropping the straw onto the table beside him. I'm sorry, Jack said. And it wasn't for the cussing. Me too, Will replied. Freddie Lowndes handled herself far better than anyone expected. With the aid of an ecstatic Chilton and resigned Crawford, Will sat down with her and answered questions no honest journalist would ask, phrased his words in a way no true psychiatrist would. Chilton added in a word or two on the matter, and it became a sort of banter back and forth, the two of them building off one another's theories on the soul-stealer. He's certainly inbred, Will said. Prone to homosexual tendencies, Chilton added in. Will's contacts remained in. Now that Jack knew, Will had no fear of Chilton. What little ground he'd hoped to gain ahead of Will for his book, Blood and Chocolate, he'd confided in Will, was lost. Not that Will would tell him that, though. Hannibal was behind a glass wall, and Will didn't like it. When Freddy pulled out her camera, Will noted the tense stance and expression on Jack's face, and took great delight in posing as she directed although he faltered somewhat when she asked about having a photo by the graveside of Miss Hess. That was met with a curt no. Chilton couldn't resist stepping in for a few photos, and there was a collective expression of pleasant surprise when Will put an affable hand on Chilton's shoulder. In the end, Freddie held her hand out to Will, and Jack almost fell out of his chair when Will clasped it firmly and thanked her for her hard work.